Truth divides. Truth brings division. Truth never unites everyone. It cuts. It shows things. Who's of the truth, who is not. But truth, we, we need to get this lesson. Some love the truth and others do not. Some's attitude is, what is truth? You saw that in Pilate, right? All people don't believe the same truth. You know, you have liberal conservative, rich, poor. In our text, Sadducees. We know there are Pharisees, and we know the Sadducees are opposed to the Gospel and the Apostles. But truth divides. Never think everybody will love the truth, because they will not. Jesus said this, and this might be a striking quote for you, but Jesus often hits us upside the head with things to jar us and, and bring things to light. But in Matthew 10, 34 to 35, he said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And on he goes. Truth divides. The gospel divides. Not everybody loves the gospel. Jesus came to be and to bring gospel truth. And you see that divided. He was crucified. So we see this division between the truth going forth and some loving it and coming to love it and believing and others hating it and, and rejecting it. Some even reject it and then end up embracing it. You see that in the Apostle Paul. But gospel truth divides. We've seen this ongoingly as we, uh, we will see this ongoingly as we proceed through the book of Acts. But we said early on that this book, a one word summary of the book of Acts is witness. Witness. That is the one word summary of this book. And we saw in chapter one, resurrection of Christ and him giving proof to his 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 disciples. Right. And in being with them for 40 days and assuring them, promising in verse eight, power is coming power. What's that power for power for witness? Is coming. And then we saw that power for witness. Pentecost, the fulfillment of Old Testament. We talked about that in chapter 2. But we saw that come in chapter 2. And immediately what begins to happen? Witness. Peter's first sermon. Preaching the gospel. 3,000 converted. One sermon. That's a great sermon. Great God in His grace. So at the end of chapter 2, we see 3,000 converts in the, in the church organized and the apostles being the ones through whom mighty works are being done and the gospels going forth. And then we see in chapter 3, we see the first one of those signs of an apostle as this lame beggar is healed. And then that's the platform in Peter's second sermon. The gospel witness is going forth in chapter 3. They're telling people about Jesus and the resurrection. Peter was very bold and we saw this last time when he confronted the Jews with their unbelief and rejection of Jesus. And yet in that pointed them to the mercy available in Christ. And the risen Christ who is the Messiah. We saw that last week. So they're in the midst right now even of witnessing, of preaching, of proclaiming, of telling the people about Jesus and His resurrection when we pick it up in chapter 4. 
And we see as we begin chapter 4, and, I, and I, I, if you look, the title of the sermon is Irked by the Gospel. It's trying to pique your attention, get your, get your attention, because some of these people hearing were not pleased, they were irked. They were greatly annoyed, and others came to faith. But the main point, I mean, faithful gospel witness irks some or, or, or makes some mad or annoys some and saves others. That's just God working through the gospel. Apart from the Spirit being at work, people will be not happy about the gospel, not embracing the gospel, in various ways rejecting the gospel, unless the Spirit is at work giving them eyes and hearts to see so that they turn and embrace Jesus. But first, look at the first part of this, this section here. The authorities are irked. By the gospel, they're greatly annoyed. But it says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, so you have this, this long cohort of people coming at them, and they come upon them suddenly, it seems. They're focused on gospel preaching and, and witness of the people, and it's like you've seen some of the movies, the crowds part, and in come the self-righteous, the, the authorities and the leaders. And uh, they're not happy. But it says the priest, the captain of the temple in charge of security, and the Sadducees, one half of, uh, uh, of the uh, Sanhedrin, the more liberal half, they did not believe in the resurrection. They were about keeping the peace. Yeah, I thought that was coming down to you. They were about keeping the peace. They were about um, not threatening their position with Rome, their favored position with Rome. They, they, the, the Sadducees are thinking they've already stamped out this movement. And then here are these guys preaching the gospel. So it says, They come upon them, the Sadducees, the temple guard, the priests come upon them greatly annoyed. Greatly annoyed. Not just a little bit annoyed. They are greatly annoyed. And, and one of the reasons I gave the sermon the title I did is when I looked in one of my lexicons, a synonym for the word here is irked. It says that you're irked. The definition was, was irked. It says to be strongly irked or provoked at something or someone. To be provoked. To be angry. To be irked. Synonyms for this, this word are peeved. Irritated. Riled up. You know, Southerners get riled up. Been out of shape. Or I found this one. This one's interesting. Cheesed off. That's evidently a British way of saying that you are not happy with something. You're cheesed off. You're bent out of shape, irritated. You are irked. But it says they come upon them suddenly and they are greatly annoyed. They are not enjoying what they're hearing and they're not just going to stand back as passive bystanders and, and listeners. They are, they are coming at them and coming at them with force. It says they're greatly annoyed because... Why are they annoyed? Because they're preaching... In Jesus, the resurrection. They're preaching forgiveness in Jesus. They're preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And therefore, the leadership is very unhappy with them. They see this as a threat, like I said, to their position. They, they saw Jesus as a threat to their position, their power, their peace. They saw him as an imposter. They killed him and that's it. They're, they're done. They've cut the head off the snake. This movement will go to nothing. But now the apostles are out in the temple preaching the gospel. And so they're frustrated. 
They're annoyed. They don't know what to do, but they know one thing. They want them to shut up. So they arrest them. It says that they, they, were, they were annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And one thing to know about the Sadducees, they were the more liberal side of the Sanhedrin and they did not believe in the resurrection. So just that was enough. And you'll see later in Acts, Paul uses that between the Pharisees and the Sadducees to get them arguing with one another and forget about him later on. But they are, they are, uh, they are offended by the gospel and what they're preaching. And it says in verse 3 that they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. Why, why did it say that? Because the Sanhedrin normally would meet earlier in the day, in the, in the morning. And so they wouldn't meet again until the next morning. So they would just let them sit in custody until they could meet and talk about what would be done with them. And that's what we'll see next time as we look at more in chapter 4 of that, that hearing so and, and how they respond to the apostles and how the apostles respond to them with great boldness again. So and that's a blessing. But see, Jesus, the resurrection, the gospel is a threat to their way of life. So they are imprisoned. They are arrested. They are waiting on trial. They are persecuted. And Jesus had warned them of this ahead of time. Not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody's going to love the truth. But when they reject you and speak evil of you because you are about the truth, don't cry. Rejoice. Matthew 10, not 5. Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12 says this. We don't think about this, but we don't think this way most of the time. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others are irked at you because of the gospel. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It's not just you being a jerk and making people mad. But it's because of Christ and the gospel. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you are persecuted because of gospel truth, rejoice. It's a good sign. The Spirit is at work in and through you. Jesus said on another occasion, woe to you if everybody speaks well of you. For so they spoke of the false prophets. That's what we want. We are afraid to do anything that might cost us a Twitter follower or a, a Facebook like. Or, and that's just illustrative of how we just want to be loved by everybody. So we try to be really careful so that we don't hack anybody off. You'll never follow Jesus with that mindset. Ever, never. Blessed are you if you are faithful to Jesus and people are irked at you. Now we don't go out with the goal of irking people. We go out with the goal of them being saved through faith in Christ. So like I said, you get no brownie points for being a jerk. You can make people persecute you. You can be hard to get along with. It's easy to make people not like you if that's what you want to do. But if you're being kind and loving and faithful and you are out sharing the gospel, 
in word and deed and people don't like it and they come at you, they're aggravated, they reject you or they come at you, that's a blessing. It's a good sign. See, these leaders, they're going to try to stamp this out and it's not going to work. And we'll see that as we move on in chapter 4. But the leaders are irked. They are cheesed off. They are, they are peeved. They want this thing to stop. The witness, uh, witness is rejected. The apostles are in prison. And that's just really the end of it. Right? Nothing good could have happened because they haven't had a chance to give an altar call. I'm trying to be funny. That's not a biblical concept. Sinner's prayer, altar call, you won't find in here. What you will find is exhortations to faith in the true God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. But look what it says. So the, the leadership is, they're upset. The apostles are being persecuted. They're in prison. But God. Look, look at verse 4. See this, sometimes we would be tempted to look at this as a disaster. Man, they were out there, they were doing good and they were sharing the gospel and then they got arrested. Oh, no. But verse 4, look, that many others are persuaded by the gospel. Many who heard believe. Look at verse 4. And this is, this is God is still at work building His church. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men. Now, see, before we're counting all the disciples and the numbers come to 3,000. Now He just tells us about the men. And the men, the number of men came to 5,000. That means the church has exploded again and we're coming up near 10,000 people. But look what it says. It says, many who had heard the word. What? The gospel that Peter preached in response to the healing of the lame beggar. That he was preaching the word about Jesus. He was preaching the message of Christ. He was preaching the gospel and the power of the Spirit and calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus. And it says, many of them believed. And the number of men, men what? number of men who were disciples of Jesus came to about 5,000. But I want to pause a minute and ask you a question because this little word can be misunderstood right here. What does it mean that they believed? When you're reading that, dig and think, and they, they literally believed into Christ, it says in other places. But when it says believe, that's talking about faith in Christ. What it's not talking about is just mere mental assent to a set of facts. And I've reviewed this with you before, but I thought this would be a good place to review it again because we know that conversion is repentance and faith. Turning from sin, turning from to God and trusting in Jesus. So when it says that they believed, it means that they, placed, they, they heeded the message and placed their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. So what is faith? True biblical saving faith is more than just what we think of as mentally believing something. True biblical saving faith has three elements the reformers taught. The first of which is knowledge. If someone is going to have saving faith, they have to have knowledge of the gospel. And that's what Peter's given them in earlier in chapter 3. He's given them knowledge of the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day according to the Scripture. That's Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He's given them the facts of Jesus and the resurrection and the salvation and the response that He demands. Okay, so true saving faith begins with knowledge of the gospel. Doesn't stop there. The second element of saving faith is belief or assent. 
They use the word assent. So the second element of saving faith is believing that those facts are true. That Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah who lived for us and died for us, was buried, was raised from the grave. But that's not saving faith yet. I mean, you'll talk to people who say, when you're trying to witness to them, you'll talk to people who say, I believe in God. Or I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is awesome. But that's not enough. The devil does that. (laughs) Don't say that to them. Unless, well, sometimes it's fitting. People are hard-headed sometimes. But (laughs) just believing those facts is not enough to save you. Like I say, the demons know all of that to be true and none of them are saved. False converts believe the facts about Jesus, but it never changes their life. The third and crucial element is trust. So you hear the gospel, you believe it to be true, and it's the good news about Jesus. So you turn and trust in Him. Trust in Christ alone is the third and essential element of faith, which is being represented in this text by that word believed. They heard the gospel with ears to hear. What does that mean? The Spirit was at work through the preaching of the gospel, gave them life. Because we're born dead in trespasses and sins. We're born unresponsive to the gospel. By nature, we can't and won't come to Christ. Unless the Spirit's at work in us through the gospel to give us faith and repentance so that we turn and trust in Jesus. And that's what has happened here. People who were unbelievers and opponents of Jesus and in opposition to the gospel by God's grace through the preaching of the gospel have now become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and added to the number. It's not said, but baptized probably into the church. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Coming to church won't save you. I want you to be here. Reading your Bible won't save you. Giving money won't save you. You know, It's only Christ that saves you. And it's not a perfect faith that's required. Because you know what? I don't know. We talk a big game sometimes, but none of us have a perfect faith. If you struggle with, with things sometimes, welcome to the club. That's why we need to walk in community so we encourage one another. But turn and trust in Jesus. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? Let me ask you this way. Do you love Jesus? Because if God's at work in you, making you a disciple, the gospel will, will humble you and, and, and cause you to love and trust Jesus. And if you love Jesus, He says, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if you really love Him, your life will prove it or disprove it. But these people had come to believe, so they are now disciples of Jesus and they are followers of Jesus through the simple thing that Peter preached the gospel. He didn't answer all of their intellectual questions. He didn't, you know, give them great and grandiose promises about how much money they're going to make now or any of that. He preached the gospel to them and the Spirit was at work saving their souls. Thousands believed and were added to the number of the disciples. The church is blowing up because faithful, fallible, weak, needy men 
empowered by the Spirit, preach the gospel in boldness in the midst of opposition. And look what God did. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, that He's the Messiah, Savior, that He calls us to repent and trust Him has gone forth. And the church is now pushing 10,000. God wins. Jesus wins. Man cannot stop Him. The gospel wins. And Paul told the Romans in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Maybe you'll read that word believe stronger now. To the Jew first. This is the gospel to the Jews right in the temple. To the Jew first. And also to the Greek or the Gentile, the non-Jew. Look at what that says. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes is me being able to answer all of their questions. They won't get saved unless I can answer all of their questions. It's me being able to put it in a certain way and say it just... No, this will set you free if you let it. The power of God for salvation is the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised the third day. 1 Corinthians 15. It's Christ. So even in a weak and imperfect way, God can use me to share this good news about Jesus with those who don't know Him and work to sharpen and grow me in the process and to save their souls. Peter doesn't have it all figured out if you trace his life. He's still going to make some mistakes. But God is using him because he's preaching the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. So you see that the gospel is going forth. Power to witness has been given. The apostles are witnessing uh, to the gospel. Many converts in chapter 2. A healing. More converts in chapter 3 with persecution. The truth has gone out in the temple and it has divided it. It has cut a line through it. On one side, opposition. On another side, faith. And that is what it always does. And the reason I wanted to stop here is I just wanted to highlight the two responses to the gospel that we will face as we witness. And that's acceptance and rejection. That's some people being irked and others being saved. And like I said earlier, some people will go from irked to salvation. Some will be mad at first and God will be at work. You know, I'd almost rather somebody get mad at me when I share the gospel with them than just say, oh, that's cool. Good for you. Tell me it made you mad or something. Hear it and respond to it. But the thing that you will face as you seek to love Christ and to live for Christ and to be faithful to Christ in this life is both acceptance and rejection. You will see faith and irking. People will be irked by you. if Not because you're weird or anything like that. Some of us are and it's okay. But because, because you've been faithful to Jesus and you shared the gospel and it has either cut them to the heart leading to salvation or it's made them mad. The same gospel makes some people mad and indifferent and others grieve and repent and trust Jesus. But you have to be ready for both. And you have to be willing to experience both if you're going to love and live for Christ.
Because one thing we avoid like the plague is rejection. It's not the plague. We have to get over that. Because it will cause us to either not share the gospel or water it way down and just being afraid of offending people. Expect some people to be irked, others to be saved, seeds to be planted. Don't give up on people if they get mad. If they tell you to shut up and quit talking to them about it, shut up and quit talking to them about it. God will make a way and it might be through them encountering. That's what happened to my brother. He didn't want to talk about the gospel. He persecuted me. He didn't want to hear it. He was all proud and all this kind of stuff until he was on his deathbed. And then through tears, he said, I'm scared. And I said, why are you scared? And he said he was afraid to die because he was afraid of what comes next. And I got to share the gospel with him one more time and I didn't tell him what to say. And through tears, he cried out to the Lord for mercy and salvation. But if I was afraid I was going to offend Steve, I would never. And I'm no big deal. I failed as much as you do when it comes to evangelism. But we have to get over the fear of somebody getting mad at us and somebody rejecting us or we will never live faithfully for Jesus. Remember this. Please get this. Please take this with you. Please think about this. Truth divides. And gospel truth divides. And there is no way around that. And if you are rejected and spoken evil of and persecuted because of you being faithful to Christ, hallelujah fit. Because Jesus said, rejoice, be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. That's how they treated the false, the, the true prophets. Because if you go back and read the Old Testament, true prophets were God's persecuting, persecuting yes, prosecuting attorneys who were calling the people from their sin. And they didn't always like that. And some of them were killed. The truth divides. Be willing to irk some people to love Jesus and to be faithful to Him and to see people converted. When we come to faith, we have this passion for everybody to know Jesus that somehow gets watered down as we move along in the Christian life. And I'm asking you to pray. And I'm asking you to plead with God and I'm asking you to dive into the Word and, and pray for yourself that, for a refreshing of that and pray for us as a church for a refreshing of that. And for baby Christians to be running around here like we have little babies running around here that need to be discipled and nurtured and grown up in Christ. But it will never happen if we're primarily worried about what other people think about us. The gospel will offend some and save others and some will go from offense to salvation. But we have to have our eyes on Christ and loving Him and being faithful to Him. And loving our neighbor. Man, we should want our neighbor to come to Christ. Nothing about God's sovereignty and election should whet that appetite. I should take it away. Wetting it is producing it, but it should take that away. We should have a passion for people who are lost to come to faith in Jesus. Why? Because we love them and love Him and want them not to experience condemnation and rejection 
in hell, but salvation and glory, new heavens and new earth forever. Reconciliation with God. And I don't want to just drag you down this morning. I want to encourage you and I want you to look at this text and see, even though those seemingly in authority were highly ticked off and persecuted and arrested the messengers, the one who's really in authority was at work and saved thousands of people. And he's still building his church. And he will do it through you before you get it all figured out. Because guess when you'll get it all figured out? Not in this life. You will never have an answer to everybody's every question. And when you don't have the answer, you want the magic words are? I don't know. We can look up look that up together if you want to, but but what about and go right back to the gospel? Truth divides. Some go out, you know, so go you go out and irk some people with the gospel. I'm not kidding. Go out and irk some people. You know what I mean by that? Go out and share the gospel and just know that not everybody's going to like it and be willing to face that. Listen, the gospel must be spoken. It's a verbal proclamation of the good news of salvation in Christ and what He's done to save us. Being a good person alone will not do it. We want you to be good as God defines good and have good works that Spirit is producing. But you have to also talk about Jesus. The power of God is this simple message about Jesus and His death and His resurrection and forgiveness available in Him. But know ahead of time, some people will be irked. Here's what convicts me. If we never irk anyone with the truth of the Gospel, we are not truly witnessing When's the last time somebody got mad at you because you were trying to talk to them about Jesus? It's been a while with me. And I mean, I've made people mad preaching. You can see some of them get up and walk out the door. But in a sense, that's easy. It's easier than being one-on-one, face-to-face, isn't it? And my goal, I don't go out, God, let me make somebody mad today. But save people. Help me to be a witness. So go out and be willing to irk people and go out and be praying into some people being saved like in verse 4, believing in Jesus. But this is where I want to encourage you. The same God that was at work then is at work now just as powerfully, if not more powerfully, through His church to take His gospel to the ends of the earth. And He is saving people in Swansboro, in Cedar Point, Jacksonville, on down the road all across the United States and all across the world right now. And nobody's too hard for the gospel. Well, my old cousin Jeb, he just won't hear it. Well, Paul, Saul was pretty hard-headed. But God slapped him off his mule and he can do the same with anybody else and bring them to faith. But the same God that was at work here is at work now. And the same God that was at work through Peter and John and the rest of the apostles is at work in and through you if you know Him. And He will use you. And He does use you. So here's the encouragement. Think about the small beginning of the church. Jesus alone come to save His people. And then he chose 12 of the wisest, most knowledgeable people in the world to follow him around Palestine so that they could be the big... 
He chose 12 knuckleheads. One of them was a devil. But He chose men who did. They weren't the religious elite. They weren't the most knowledgeable. But He chose them and worked in and through them to bring them to the place where He entrusted the Gospel to them. And I know, you know none of us are apostles and none of us are writing the Word and all that kind of stuff. There are no more apostles in that sense. But Jesus came alone, came to save His people. That's why He's named Jesus. And then the twelve, He chose flawed men and entrusted the Gospel to them. And then in the beginning of the book of Acts, we have 120. What can 120 people do in light of the whole world? Well, nothing if it's just up to them, but the Spirit's at work, okay? And so this 120 is praying. God gives the Spirit the power. Uh, at Pentecost empowers His church from that day forward. We don't have to look for a, no, a more and more Pentecost. He did it. We have the Spirit through faith in Jesus. And then at that end of that day, 3,000 people are in the church. So we go from 1 to 120 to 3,000. And then we've gotten a couple of chapters later and, and, and we're up to 10,000 in Acts 4. And there are millions of people. Now listen, I don't buy the statistic that 2 point whatever billion people on the planet are Christians. We have in some way a humdinger of a revival, if that's true. That lumps in everybody who claims to be a Christian. But there are still millions of people on the planet who trust Jesus. And there are millions who have passed on who trusted Him before. And there are millions who are being saved. And eventually it will be all the earth. And we'll go into the new heavens and the new earth. People from every tribe, tongue, and language. Matthew 13. Let me give you a couple of small beginning, big endings, and then a couple of promises and we'll see Revelation. I'll read these quick. But in Matthew 13, 31-33, when Jesus is teaching in parables, it says He put another parable before them in verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed at his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. It started out the smallest but it ends up dwarfing all the others. That's your God. That's His kingdom. That's the gospel going forward. That's what He's doing. In Habakkuk 2.14, it says, The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then you see the outflow of that in Revelation 5, talking about the worship in heaven and singing a new song. It says, um, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, the Lamb Jesus, for you were slain. And look at this. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's what gives us confidence in missions. That's what gives us confidence in evangelism. Is that the sovereign God of the universe is at work through His people to bring people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Even Salter Path dialect. Even Swansboro. To faith in Jesus. And listen, I looked up a lot of statistics and you get a lot of numbers all over the place and you know, tried to weed through those numbers and come to a reasonable figure. And, and how many people do you think are converted to Christ around the world on a daily basis? See, we tend to think small and pessimistically. I think a reasonable number is 70,000. Every day. 
Through the witness of the church. It's not just God's not writing in the clouds. Through the witness of His people. Not a perfect witness. So think about it. If you like football, you watch football games on a Saturday. One of those stadiums, average out those stadiums. Some of them are bigger than others. But think about it. Every day, a football stadium full of people are being converted to Christ. We don't see that on the news, do we? We're told lies like Islam is the fastest growing religion. Remember, mustard seed, greatest in the garden. 70,000 people per day around the world through the witness of scared, trembling, flaw-filled, weak people just like you. God can use you. God will use you. Matter of fact, God does use you if His Spirit's in you. Man, be aware of that. Christ is building His church and He won't fail. And He will win. And people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be in the, the church and around the throne worshiping Him. And the blessing is we get to be part of that. And if we love Him, we should want to. And I'm challenging us because one of the things that happens, and I don't know exactly why it happens in more Reformed churches, is we just get kind of fat and happy and we're not very evangelistic. That's not biblical. That's not love of Jesus. That's not discipleship. Because the God who has ordained the ends has also ordained the means to those ends, and the means to those ends is His people being light and salt for Him. God is saving His church through a gospel that divides. And some people are not going to like it when you share. You continue to love them anyway. And rejoice if you're persecuted for it. And certainly we rejoice if somebody comes to faith in Jesus, right? I mean, we come back. We can't wait to come back in church and tell that story. I witnessed Uncle Bob and you wouldn't believe it. Something happened and he all convicted and got down and he received Jesus. Some will be irked. And some will be saved. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's all His business. But Christ is building His church through gospel irkers. Are you a gospel irker? If you're sharing the gospel, you will be one. Some people will be mad at you. But God will also use you to sow seeds. And some, some, some at sometimes, not every day, and not every time you share it, reap souls for Christ. Christ is building His church. Go out and irk some people. With the gospel. Because he has loved you enough to die for you and be raised for you. To forgive you of all of your sins and credit you his righteousness. And because he commands us to. I'll end with the great commission just as a reminder. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. Jesus is king now. All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, look at this promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that the power of salvation is not us. (laughs) It's not me and my strength having all 
the ability to answer all questions to talk somebody into the kingdom of God. We can do nothing apart from you. We cannot bring one soul to repentance and faith. That's your spirit's work. And you work through the gospel. You have given us the power of God for salvation. Just like in the early church. Just like what we see happening in Acts 4. Which is the good news about Jesus. That Peter preached. Multitudes after him have preached and proclaimed and shared. And you are building your church. Lord, deliver us from the allure of the world, the flesh, the devil's temptations and persecution. May the gospel produce in us a love for you that joyfully delights in living for you and that is once again passionate about seeing those all around us come to faith in Jesus and have hope, not just for this life, but for the life to come. Lord, I'm praying, make us witnesses. Grow us in grace. Put the gospel in our hearts, yes, producing love for you and us mining and dwelling in the depths of your grace. But put the gospel on our lips and give us wisdom. Give us opportunity to love people and serve them and be willing to speak to them about the only hope we have for being forgiven of our sins, for being righteous in God, reconciled to God, for having hope for this life and the life to come. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So bless us. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Revive us. And Lord, make us gospel witnesses. And help us to remember to both rejoice when people are converted but to rejoice if we are rejected and persecuted on account of you. Thank you for loving us so that you would sacrifice yourself for us. Help us in a love response to you, not legalism, but in a love response to you and your grace to sacrifice ourselves for you. Lord, save any that are listening to me who don't know Christ. May you refresh them and, and help them, give them eyes to see and minds and hearts to understand for the first time what it means that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day and that he offers salvation as a free gift through faith. If we will turn and trust in Jesus, we will be saved. And if we won't, we won't. And Lord, those um, that we witness to, we pray, Father, prepare their hearts. Open their hearts. Lead them to faith. We know you will accomplish your purposes and your good works with your gospel. You are building your church. You will draw your people to yourself. You will save them. And it will happen through the power of God being shared, which is the gospel. Help us, Lord. Help us, we pray. Thank you for your grace. May we live for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.